0: Good morning, church. If you have your Bibles, turn to Galatians. We've been going through this series. We're finishing up chapter 2 today. I would like to read to you the section of Scripture that we'll be learning from. It's Galatians chapter 2, verse 15, and it says this, "...we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners." Yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law. Because by works of the law, no one will be justified. But if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ, we too were found to be sinners, is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. Now, each time I've preached so far, we've had a title that was the, and in the name of a pe- of, of, uh, the, the rescuer, the, the, the persecutor. Today, it's the justified. As I read that passage, you may have noticed there's one word that is the most frequent, and it's justified or justification. We're going to learn what Paul means by that, in specific application to what's happening between him and Peter. But to help you understand what the point of the message is today, I, w- I want to tell a story to, to begin. Now, this is a personal story, and I've told this story before. So if you've been in this church for a while, you've probably heard this. Um, if you were in the first service, you definitely have heard it, but because uh, I told it then. But um, it's been about five years, but it, it, it really illustrates what I want to demonstrate today. And the story goes like this, because when I was living in San Diego, my wife and I had a condo that we were living in. It had a bottom floor and an upstairs, and at that point, we, only had, we didn't have as many kids then as we do now. And Josiah and Ethan, my two oldest sons, um, were in diapers. That's the age that they were. And they were uh, adventurers. You know, we would be downstairs and we could hear them up there, you know, jumping off of things and doing lightsaber battles. And, and uh, they just, they were boys, you know, they have lots of energy. And I remember in this story, we were downstairs and we were making dinner. I was in the kitchen with Missy. We were working together and we could hear them upstairs bouncing around. And we're focused on making dinner. And after a while, I, I noticed it was quiet. And I said to my wife, boy, it sure is quiet up there. What are those guys doing? And, you know, my wife was a good mother's intuition. She says, you better go check on them. You know, so I said, okay. So I, I started to walk up the stairs, and as soon as I was walking up the stairs, I knew there was a problem because I could smell it already. Now, both of the boys were in diapers. Now, we had in the room a table. That was a Lego table. It was a big square. It had the green mats glued to it where you could attach Legos to those mats. There was a hole in the middle, and in the hole, you could reach down, and there were all kinds of Legos you could pull out and build and create, you know. Well, both of my boys had pooped in their diapers. And they had, I guess they got bored with the Legos because they took the diapers off. And when I peeked in like this, there were both the diapers on the Lego table, and they were proceeding to create things with the poo. Yes. Yes. And it was, I mean, my, my reaction was something like, ah, because first of all, those little bumps on the green mat, they had, you know, winded their fingers through. It was all through the bumps. You know, they, it was all over the Legos, whatever they had built, it was poo-stained. Over here on the wall I glanced over and it looked like they had played ancient caveman as they had made you know graphic hand marks and dinosaurs with their poo the markings were there I looked over at the bunk bed they had climbed and scaled the mountain of the bunk bed because on the ladder there were poo hand marks as they had climbed up and then on the top bunk as I looked in and in the beds in the sheet and on the pillows there was poo and hand print on a pillow and I mean it was everywhere you get the picture That's why my reaction was, oh. And I called my wife up there. And of course, what every good husband says is, what's wrong with your children? (laughs) And so we proceeded to cleanse them, right? Because you can't live like that. It's not as if you look at that and go, oh, well, I guess this is something new. He's like, no way. I'm not living like that. we got to clean that up. They are unclean. And you see, this is the essence of uh, Peter's mindset that Paul was correcting in him. The reason why he separated last week and he wouldn't sit with Gentiles and he came over here to sit with Jews is because he viewed them as unclean. Now just to picture this, that I'm going to invite my friend. I had a good friend at that time. I was the soccer coach. He was the basketball coach at a college. He had boys the same age as mine. And so we would get together a lot. Imagine I would invite him over and their boys come in and what would they do? Oh, go play. Oh, look at this room. I like the decorations now. You know, they would grab their children, pull them back and say, whoa, wait a minute. I do not want my children in that. That will make them poo-stained. You know, they're going to be unclean, right? And that's the idea. If I was to go and sit as a Jew with the Gentiles, it would make me unclean. And so that's the, the whole point of the separation last week. Now, I had said it was racist and there's truth in that, but the layer underneath that is the Jews saw them culturally clean and the Gentiles culturally unclean. And the context I'm giving you of clean and unclean is, the, is exactly what Paul is going to address by bringing up the word justification. And you need to understand that going into, why is he choosing the word justified so much in this passage to address an issue that's cultural in the view of clean and unclean? That's what we're going to look at today. That's why I titled it, The Justified, because the justified are you. If you're a believer in Christ, you are justified by the work of Christ on the cross. You're the justified. Last week it was, or several weeks ago, it was the spies and the hypocrite. Hopefully, we're none of those. But today, I want you to be the justified. And what is it that Paul wants to tell us? Because how do we make ourselves clean then? like My son, it's like I I grab him, and I, I go and I put him in the bathtub, and there's a process to make him clean. See? We had two bathtubs, by the way, and we actually gave a bath to the boys and a bath to all the Legos. Every Lego went into the bathtub, all of the sheets, everything into the dryer, washer. It was a whole thing we went through to make it clean so it could be presentable, so we could have fellowship, so I could invite a friend over and he would be okay with his kids going up into their room. Otherwise, there's going to be a fellowship problem. Peter had a fellowship problem. And that's what we want to address today. What must be done to make us clean? So we are fellowship ready. Last week we left off with this in verse 14. But when I saw that their conduct was not in step with the truth of the gospel. So whatever Peter was doing, it wasn't what should have been done to make himself clean. I said to Cephas before them all, If you, though a Jew, live like a Gentile and not like a Jew... How can you force the Gentiles to live like Jews? And this is a cultural issue that's going on here. Now, my first point I want to make is this. That fellowship with God is through our faith. Faith in His Son, Jesus Christ. So I'm going to give you the right way first. Fellowship with God is through faith. But right out of the gate, He's going to tell you how you don't have it. Uh, Because in verse 15, he says, we ourselves are Jews by birth and not Gentile sinners. So the first thought I had here is that God did not have fellowship with you based on race or culture. That needs to be one of the foundational things. So how do we have fellowship with God? Well, the first thing you need to know, if you have fellowship with him, it has nothing to do with race. It has nothing to do with culture. Because in the Paul-Peter dust-up, it was playing a factor. And right out of the gate, that's one of the things he addresses because he uses this word Gentile sinners. We're Jews. We're Jews by birth. We're not Gentile sinners. And let me dig at this a little bit because you got to understand, I think I put it up here, Gentile sinners, see, they had no revealed divine written law to guide them toward salvation or living righteously. See, part of the error with the Jews was this. They are the people on the planet that God came to and gave the law to them. So in their mind, they at least have this mindset. There's the law. It came from God. If I follow it, I can make myself clean for fellowship with God. Do you see that? They had a way. In their mind, there's a thinking. There's a way to God. It's through the law. Now, Gentile sinners... They don't have that. Now, they have laws. It's not as if all of the existing countries that existed at that time, they were lawless. It's just that their laws didn't come divinely from God. So there's probably a lot about their laws that, that uh, are good, but they're not 100%. So here's, here's the point. Gentile sinners, they don't have a law that came from God. So just think about this. They have some form of law, but even if they follow their law 100% to a T, they would still fall short of God's glory because their law didn't come from Him, and there's some aspects to their laws that don't reflect the character of God. For example, in in this time period, there would be some countries who, to make yourself clean ceremonially, you could sacrifice a baby. Put it on the altar, put a knife through it, burn it. That's acceptable in their country. You see, you follow that, that does not reflect the heart of God. So even if they followed whatever law they had, they would fall short because their laws fall short. But now the Jews, the Jews' law, that came from God. Now, if they could follow their law all the way, they had a way. They could get to God then. Do you see that? There's a way in which there can be a racial pride there in the Jews. So, I put here, first, God doesn't have fellowship with you based on race or culture. Secondly, God did not have fellowship with you based on keeping the law. Even if you took that divinely given law that was given to you, and you followed it to a T, well, wait a minute, can you? See, Paul goes on to say, 16, yet we know that a person is not justified by works of the law, but through faith in Jesus Christ. So we also have believed in Christ Jesus in order to be justified by faith in Christ and not by works of the law, because by works of the law, no one will be justified. So there's a way in which he's saying, even if you followed it, you can't be justified by that. So you have this word in the, in that those couple of verses that I just read, the word justified several times, three times. And on either side of that word, there's two things justified, right? Works. Justified, faith. Now, which is it gonna be? If you lean over here towards works, he's saying you cannot make it. You cannot make yourself clean before God trying to do it this route. It's only going to be by faith. Now, just as an example here, he covers all the bases, right? There's the general way man is not made acceptable by works of the law. Some of your translations might say a person is not justified. So in general, he's just speaking generally there, but then he gets personal, right? He says, we, the Jews, we might be justified, we, so on a personal level, but then just universal, let's break it at all, no flesh shall be justified. Some translations might say no one shall be justified. And Paul wants to really emphasize the fact that if you try to follow works, if you take that law and you try to follow it, you cannot be justified. You can only be justified by faith. And so in a way, what he's saying is only an identity in Jesus Christ can we find fellowship with God. An ID in JC, if you could say it that way. An ID in JC, an identity in Jesus Christ. Now, what does justification mean? I'm Partway in this, and I've been using this word, you might be sitting there going, Pastor, what is what is justification? Right? It's a legal term. I can tell you that first. Like in a court of law. Like if a judge heard a case and then they're gonna, he's gonna make a, a ruling and he takes the gavel and he hits down and he, he says, guilt or innocent, right? It is a legal term that gets placed upon you as either guilty or innocent. And so justification, what does it mean? I put here, it's a legal term, it means no penalty. This is why Paul will write, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. But it means something else as well. It means that you are entitled to all the privileges of someone who has kept the law. Just think about that. It is as if you did not break the law. You understand that, right? Like right now, look around you. There are no policemen in here. There's no detectives coming after you because there's suspicion, because you've broken some law. You have freedom. You can get up. You can leave. You get your car. You could travel. You can, I'm assuming, go to other countries. But when you are in trouble with the law, you lose privileges. Now, I have a friend who I grew up with in my childhood. He went to prison for a time. He got out early on parole, but he still doesn't have complete freedom. He cannot travel outside the U.S. He uh, has to check in ever so often with a parole officer. He doesn't have complete freedom. Why? Because there was a point in time where he broke the law. You see, if I say the word justified and I point at you and I say you are justified, it means two things. There's no penalty, no condemnation. You're not going to prison. You're not, there's no death penalty. But it also means you are entitled to all the privileges as if you were a person who did not break the law. You get all those freedoms. You see that. It's both of those. Now, you're declared not guilty. Why? How is that? Well, because you should ask that, because we are guilty. You have broken God's laws. We all have. So how, how could we be justified? Well, the word means declared not guilty by imputing man's sin and the penalty for that sin to Jesus Christ. We give over to Him the penalty for the wrongs that we have done. And then what comes back to us We're declared fully righteous by imputing to man Jesus Christ's righteousness. So, Jesus is the only man who came and lived and followed the law in every aspect of it. No part of the law did he ever break. He was innocent in every way. No person in history can say that. And that's important because that is given to us. When he goes to the cross, he takes from us the penalty of all of the sins that we have done. But then what he gives back is the righteous life that he lived. God looks at us and he views us, he views us through that lens. He sees us with the perfect righteousness of Christ. It's not ours, it's the perfect righteousness of Christ. This is why it's detrimental to be thinking that somehow you could add to that. Somehow you can do some things in your life that make yourself look clean to God when you're already wearing Christ's righteousness. You you can't make yourself more clean than that. So, this is why um, I struggle with people who have this thought about penance, in purgatory, because those things say to you, there's something you need to do to still pay, there's something that is still owed. You see, if I skip down to verse 20, Paul says, I have been crucified with Christ. I wasn't there 2,000 years ago, but Paul says, I have been. It's as if it is His past is my past. My past. I hung on the cross. The penalty for what I did was done on the cross through Jesus Christ. And if the penalty was paid, there is no penance. There is no purgatory. There is no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus. Free from condemnation before God as if I already died and been judged and the debt was paid myself. Fellowship with God through faith in what Christ did on the cross. Now I said in here, we don't have fellowship based on race or culture. We don't have fellowship based on keeping the law. We cannot. But the last point is that God has fellowship with you based on the right Savior. See, there's a way in which if I'm, I'm doing the penance, I'm doing the, the works to try to make myself clean, that I have a measure of faith in those things, and it's a false Savior. And there are some people who will go through their whole life building up a collection of works, of good things, of penances, Even perhaps with the belief that in the next, as even if I die, there's going to be some people who might pray for me to help me then. But it's a false gospel. That is a, a false faith because Paul's telling you, you are justified already. The gavel came down and you're declared righteous only if you put your faith in the work of Christ on the cross. Now, let me show you how he he says this. So fellowship with you based on the right Savior. So he says in, in verse 19, For through the law I died to the law so that I might live to God. So the first thing you have there, he says, through the law, which means the law showed him something. I could never make myself clean. Do you understand that the purpose of the law was to point us to the need for a Savior? You look at that law. I mean, the Ten Commandments, hard enough. But all the other laws that were there, how could you keep them all? And to break any one aspect of it is to break all of it. If you've broken any part of the law, you've broken all of the law. Because God is described as a burning ball of righteous fire and light that anything impure that comes into proximity will be melted away. You cannot come into the presence of God. You cannot have fellowship with Him with impurity. That's why we need to be clothed with a perfect righteousness of Christ. If you've got a robe that has partly stitched with works, Or you broke just one one aspect of you. You can't be in fellowship with God. And he says, through the law. Do you know how he knows that? The law taught me that. The law, I look at that and I go, I just can't, I can't not sin. And it points me, there's got to be something else to help me. And there is. There is. It's a Savior, Jesus Christ. It points you to your need for a Savior. Through the law, I could never make myself clean. Then he says, I died to the law. And that means you stop believing that the law can save you. You stop building into your life acts of righteousness to somehow it makes you think that you're better before God, that you're cleaner before Him. He stopped living to that standard, he says. And then he says, I lived to God because he begins to embrace that is the true gospel. That is the true Savior. I live to God. And I'm going to say a little more on that at the end, but right now I need you to understand that Peter was still living with this measure of a false gospel in him, which is phenomenal to think about. He's an apostle. But he was withdrawing, believing if I sit with him, there's an uncleanness there. And so we see that in Peter. The law, according to the law, Gentile actions made them unclean. This is the context of cleanliness that Paul now takes us to justification. So understand clean laws for a second here. Let's just think about it for a second. The purpose was to teach God is holy and sinful people can't get into His presence, ceremonially clean and acceptable in the presence of God to worship Him. So, the whole Old Testament system was like this. Remember, when we went through Hebrews, there's some great chapters in there that talk about this and just the layers of the whole temple system, you know, the the wall here, and that you have to go through this area to cleanse yourself to make it to where the sacrifices are made. And but in the center part is the holy of holies, the the place where God was supposed to dwell. Only the high priest could go in there. And the high priest brought men to God, in that way that's part of his job. At one time a year, he would go in to make a sacrifice for the people. And the Bible records that they would stand out there, some of them out on the hillside looking down, waiting to see that if the high priest, and when he went in and he made a sacrifice for you and all of us, that he would come back out, because if he came back out, that meant God accepted his sacrifice. But they could never get that close to God. Too sinful, And to come in through all of it, you had to, do you see the blood sacrifices? And it was all to teach them about how holy God was. If you ate certain foods, these are the cleanliness laws. It made you unclean. If you touched dead things, it made you unclean. I mean, I'm a goner right there because at my house, you know how many animals are there? You know? I mean, a cat kills a bird every week. There's dead lizards over here. The dog kills something. You know, there's always stuff going on. You know, my daughter's got all these animals, and I'm always out trying to figure stuff out and help her out. It's like, oh, I just touched a dead lizard. I can't come to church and worship now. I'm unclean. I can't come to God. I got to now go through a process to make myself clean because I touched something dead. If you had a disease, you're considered unclean. If you touched someone who had a disease, it made you unclean. <laughs> Think of all these things. And now, Peter's mindset is, if I sit with these, these Gentiles, some of their uncleanliness stuff comes to me, and now I my position is not as good, and so he withdraws from them. See? Well... If we live like Peter, and let's be honest, a lot of us do, right? A lot of us have a measure of faith in something else other than God. Well, let me show you what the response is because my next point is called fellowship failure. First one was we fellowship with God based on faith, faith alone. This one is fellowship failure. Let me read 17 and 18. It says in 17, but if in our endeavor to be justified in Christ we too were found to be sinners. Is Christ then a servant of sin? Certainly not. For if I rebuild what I tore down, I prove myself to be a transgressor. And I just put underneath this two things that are going on. Number one, rebellious transgressors. And then secondly, that the rebuilding what Christ destroyed. And through the passage now, there's two kinds of people. The first was a justified and repentant sinner. But right here, he's talking about a non-justified, unrepentant rebel. How so? Well, let me just read to you um, a quote on this. these two particular verses to help you understand what he's talking about. If someone who knows they are justified by faith continues to sin. Is it because justification by faith in Christ promotes sin? Uh, You say, Pastor, what do you mean by that? Well, we live by grace. I'm saved. If I sin, what happens? Oh, I read in 1 John, if we confess our sins, you're faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us, cleanse us from all unrighteousness. You mean it's that easy? Yes, because of the grace that God gives us. See, in the Old Testament, it wasn't that easy. In the Old Testament, I had to go through all those rituals had to to make myself clean through sacrificing an animal and and go through a, a whole ritual process that now I can pray. Because of what Christ did on the cross, God's grace comes down and I live by that grace. But the problem is this. It's very easy for Christians to go, oh, man, I sinned. Lord, you say if we confess our sins, faithful and just to forgive us our sins and cleanse us. Make me clean, Lord. I feel it in here. Make my soul feel better. And he does. And then the next day we sin again. Lord, could you help me again? And then we sin again. Lord, Lord, Lord. And there's a way in which Paul says, do do we accept that in a way that we're just, we see it as like grace, we, we can abuse that grace. We never get serious about the sin. And what Paul is saying here is if you continue to sin and never take it seriously, he says it may be that you're not actually a justified unrepentant believer. He says, not at all. The grace of Christ does not promote sin. If someone who professes faith in Christ keeps on with the same sinful lifestyle, rebuilding the sinfulness that Christ died to destroy the penalty for, make no effort to change, then it proves that this person never really grasped the gospel, but was just looking for an excuse to live in disobedience to God. There's a way in which you can wall your heart off and not let the gospel penetrate it to change you. Mature Christians over time change, they conquer sinful habits. Sometimes it can take them 20 years. But you see in their life changes, maturing. Just like a physical small child grows, you see the physical changes. You see the maturity in them. They're learning. A spiritual child who is young as they grow, you should see them maturing. The fruits of the Spirit, love, joy, peace, kindness. You see those fruits growing in them like a tree produces fruit. They become a person who is full of grace, and they're tolerant when people do wrong things to them. They're forgiving. A good sign that they're immature is they're ungracious and they're unforgiving. But the sinful habits can be overcome. And I think about what John wrote in his little letter. He says, But you know that Christ appeared to take away sins, and in him there is no sin. No one who abides in him keeps on sinning. No one who continues to sin has seen him or knows him. And those words continue. I studied those. They're a type of verb that is a repeated pattern of acceptance. In other words, it's like I I learn... The Bible says, this particular thing that I have in my life, it's teaching me, shouldn't be there, so I'm going to make an effort to fight that. The person who says, "Ah, I like it, I don't want to give that up, and they just let it be in their life, that's the kind of person he's talking about, the kind of person who accepts sinful patterns and never tries to make a change. There's no fight there. 1 John 2, But they went out from us, but they were not of us. For if they had been of us, they would have no doubt continued with us. But they went out so that it may be made manifest that they were not all of us. John says that there are some people who are in the community who have never let the gospel actually take root in here to break down pride and sin that's in here. And in time they they leave the community because it's, the gospel's g- going to be something that they always have to grasp w- grapple with. And he says they left and it's a sign they never got serious about the gospel. They never let it take root. And so he gives us these two warnings, right? And one of them is that What Christ did was to tear down works of righteousness as a way of trying to make yourself clean. So if you're a person who is leaning in on that, you're building back something Christ tried to destroy. So that leads me to the last point. So fellowship with God is about faith. There are ways in which we can fail in our fellowship. And the last one is living a life of fellowship. And you get down to verse 20, he says, I have been crucified with Christ. It is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And the life I now live in the flesh, I live by faith in the Son of God. Now, I already talked a little bit about the first point. I I thought it was good to put it in earlier in the message. But the first one is that Christ's past is our past. I have been, it's past tense, crucified with him. And again, it's like going back in time. You hung on the cross. Not in reality, but in His actions, He paid the penalty for all of the sins that we do now. And there's a sense that our past, His past is our past. We we crucified the the condemnation that we might receive. He took it. I have been crucified with Him. The penalty cannot be put back upon me because it was paid. But then If his past is our past, then Christ's life is our life now. As he he says in there, Christ, it is no longer I who live, but Christ who lives in me. And I live by faith. This is why, and John Piper said this, the evidence of being a Christian is not that there are no tactical defeats in our life in the war, against sin, but that you keep fighting till the promised victory is given. And that's why I said someone who is a Christian, they're going to have that pattern of, I messed up, I'm sorry. There's going to be a lot of defeats, but their hope is in the promise of that victory and when it's going to be given. And they don't ever accept the sin as something that should remain. Now, Peter's such a great example, because i got to tell you this about him. We go back to Acts chapter 10. You know what happened to him in Acts chapter 10? In Acts chapter 10, he, he has a vision from Christ. And in the vision, the sheet comes down. It's full of animals. And it says, take and eat. And what was in it were things you shouldn't eat for a Jew, It makes you unclean. You shouldn't eat that. Why are you telling me to eat that? And the point is, he's he's telling him that things are changing. They've changed. You need to change, Peter. And what is said to him directly is, what God has made clean, do not call common, Peter. And this was all leading him to a man named Cornelius, who was not a Jew he was a Gentile and he was told to go see him. And Peter goes. Now just you, he was not even supposed to go into his house. Going into his house would make him unclean. That was a level of uncleanness he would have to cleanse himself from. Now just think about that. Think about that. Logan, if I came to your house and it made me unclean, just by walking into your house. That's the mentality they had. And this is what this is what Jesus shaped in him and what he said to Cornelius. This is what he said to him. I wrote it down as a quote. Peter said, I'm not supposed to associate with you, Cornelius, but God has shown me that I should not call anyone unclean. Wow. But do you know what is the biggest wow? Is he's doing it in Galatians. So Early on in your faith walk, God came to you and changed that in you and said, you can't call Cornelius unclean, but now we see Paul comes and sees him, and now you're withdrawing because eating with those guys makes you unclean. It means that Peter still had a measure of that in his heart. You see, Paul's response to him because Peter there is not living by faith, is he? He's putting faith in something else. And P- Paul's response to him is to to go to the root, into Peter's heart. You see, you could you could just say, "Here's the rules, Peter, and you broke it. You got to follow the rules." And that sometimes is the way we approach it. Here's the Ten Commandments: Don't steal. You stole something. Don't steal. But Paul goes deep into his heart. There's something else there that comes up and is making him choose those decisions. And so he strikes at the heart to try to change him. You see, last week I said that Peter was being racist, and there's a measure of that that is true. But we're seeing today that it really comes down to a form of righteousness in his eyes. He thought being with them, because that culture. They're unclean. If I'm with them, it makes me unclean. I want to be clean before God. It, that's what was underneath all of that. But Paul addresses this works righteousness that is still living in his heart. That's why he uses justification to address this cleanliness issue. Well, let me read to you what one writer said about this. Paul says the roots of racism are a resistance to the gospel of salvation. In other words, racism is a continuation of work righteousness. In one part of our lives, it is born of a desire to find a way to feel we are in some way better or righteous, forgetting we are saved by grace. Failure to bring our relationships with other cultures in line with grace salvation. And that's true. With just about every sin you're going to commit. That's digging deeper, you're going to find that there's a way that it's tied to works and righteousness. Now, in this case, you know, you have a Jew with a Gentile, you have Peter who views himself as superior. So it's it is ethnic, it's racial. And it's usually easy to spot that. It can be harder to spot the other side, where they're not the majority culture, where you may feel like you're more noble b- than that one because you don't have those feelings. And, but in either way, both cases, they are putting their faith in something else. They're putting an identity in something else. So I'm going to come back to that. I want to show you the last thing in this verse at the very end, because it says, Faith in the Son of God who loved me and gave himself for me. I do not nullify the grace of God, for if justification were through the law, then Christ died for no purpose. And the last point I put put here is that it means everything or it means nothing. It means everything or it means nothing what Christ did. If you can find your way to God somehow, if you can make yourself clean, then why did he have to come at all? Why? He didn't need to. And I, 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 he says it right there in the verse. He says, then Christ died for no purpose. If you really think that you can be justified without him, he died for no purpose. I mean, the, the illustration I, I heard which was good, is it's like there's this house and it's on fire. And there's a family in there. And I see that they're in there and there's a child and I need to go in there and try to save the child. Just before I go in, they made it out themselves. They saved themselves. They escaped. And there they are. And then I look at them and I said, you know what? To show the measure of my love for you I'm going back in there to that house. And I kick the door down and I go in there. Even though they're already saved, they found a way to save themselves. And then I perish in the burning house. What was the point? And that's what Paul says right there. Well, what's the point of Christ coming and dying on the cross if you can save yourself? If there's some way you can find to make yourself clean, Now, I want to show you what happens to Peter. Because if I turn over to one of the letters that Peter wrote, and he's writing to Galatia, same place that this letter we're studying went to, to uh, Asia, Cappadocia, it's not specifically Jewish, it's Gentile. And he writes to them, and look what he says to them. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation. Wait a minute, Peter. That's very Jewish of you to say. Don't you believe you're the chosen race? It's through you. The law came through you. The Messiah came. Now you're looking at Gentiles, and you're saying they're the chosen race. They're the royal priesthood. Isn't the priesthood within the, the Jewish system of religion, the, that's the priesthood? Why can, how can you point at them and say that? And then he looks at them and he, he says, You're a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. What a testimony of Peter. What an up and down guy. He gets a vision that says, you can't call anyone unclean. Later, he's at church and he says, I can't sit with you because it'll make me unclean. And then Paul corrects him. And now we see him writing a letter to Gentiles saying, we are chosen people together. This is the picture of what the church is. There is no division. No ethnic, racial, or cultural, or socioeconomic, or strata within levels of people. There is none of that in a church. There's no Jew, no Greek, no man or woman, he says, because we're all in the same family. Brothers and sisters, why? Because we have all received the grace of God to bring us into that family. And you cannot look at each other and hold one higher as superior or lower as inferior because you both needed God's grace. And without it, you would be estranged and separated from God. And there's a way in which that is the greatest identity we should ever latch on to. Nothing else could ever compare to that. A child of God, an heir to his kingdom, the king of the universe. And you're in that family. And you have that inheritance, but only if you've put your faith in God. Without that, there is no fellowship. What a great testimony of Peter, because you can see in him that he had a measure within his heart, even late in his life as an apostle that needed corrected. God used a brother in Christ to speak to him to correct that. And the reality is, That's us. There's a measure of something in your heart that's latching on to something that's false. The reason why you allow some sin in your life is you've convinced yourself it's not that bad and you're okay because of you fill in the blank, some form of righteousness. But that's a false gospel. And somebody like a Paul may come and need to speak that into your life to make that change. Put your faith in Christ. And those Don't rebuild what Christ destroyed. Don't put your faith in those things. And we begin to serve God out of joy because of what He's done for us. And grace grows in us. And we become a person who is gracious, a person who's forgiving. We see those fruits of the Spirit growing. What a great testimony of Peter for us to follow after. If he needed it, if he needed the gospel, so do you. Don't ever think of the gospel, and this is what I'll finish with, don't ever think of the gospel as something that, it's a message I heard that I'm a sinner, and Christ died for me, he rose again, if I believe in that, I'm saved. And I take that, I put it here, I say it with my mouth, I get baptized and I'm saved, and now I walk away from it. And I, and I never go back to that. That's, that's not Christianity. Christianity is you embrace that and you carry it with you the rest of your life. And somehow that message every day is trying to penetrate a part of your heart that's put its faith in something else. Don't ever leave the gospel behind. Father, thank you for the life of Peter as an example to us. If he needed the gospel still as an older Christian, as an apostle who walked with you, who who got a vision from you about not calling people unclean, he still struggled with it. I mean, we don't get visions like that. We read the Bible, it tells us not to do things, and we still do them. If Peter, if he had all that and still struggled, we're going to struggle, Lord. But we don't want to be like that middle point where fellowship With you fails because we want to hold on to our rebellion. We want to continue to allow things in our life. We let it settle. We let sin settle. And we just embrace it as part of our life. I pray that your word, your spirit, that your community, like Paul did to Peter, would speak into our lives to root it out, Lord, so we can grow to greater maturity and to put our faith in you so that we could be an example. To others like Peter is to us and Paul. We thank you for your grace. We thank you for, for your salvation. We thank you for what Christ did, that we are justified, that there is no penalty and we're afforded all of the freedoms that come with that. To be a child of the King, to live e- eternally, the inheritance, the reward is so rich and great. I pray that it would cast a shadow over every false love in this life. We commit ourselves to you, Lord. In Christ's name, amen. Let's finish as we worship together.